the topic for today, uh, I, I thought that I would take some attention off of myself. You know, the last couple talks, I've really been talking about my own life and, and things going on there. And at this point, there's really only so much I can entertain people complaining about traffic. You know, and so I, I think I'll, I'll move away from that for, for a time and, uh, and get to some, some sutta study. And hopefully I can do it in a way that's engaging, uh, maybe a little fun, and uh, you know, highlight some of the stuff that, that often gets overlooked. And so the sutta I have in mind today is the uh, Ratapala Sutta from the Majjhima Nikaya. And most people, when they quote from this, they quote all the really pithy and meaningful parts, and I'll get to that. But I wanted to tell you the story about Ratapala first, because he's a very interesting monk, the Venerable Ratapala. Now, Ratapala lived uh, during the lifetime of the Buddha. He became one of his disciples. And uh, the way this happened is that the Buddha, now probably a good 10 years into his career as a, as a teacher of the Dharma, was, was going around with a, a bunch of monks and giving talks and you know, taking alms and doing what monks do. And at the time, Ratapala was a, uh, a young aristocrat, more or less. He was the son of someone pretty powerful. He had wives, he had money, he had youth, all these things going for him. And he heard that the Buddha was going to be giving a talk, and he goes, you know, I'm going to go listen to that talk. And he goes there, and he hears the Buddha give a talk, and it's very moving, and he understands the teachings pretty much right away. So he gets it, like, yeah, suffering, that's a thing. I don't want to suffer. How do I not do that? And so he goes up to the Buddha after the talk, and he says, Buddha, I would very much like to be a monk. And he, please, uh, ordain me right now. And the Buddha, at this time, he's already learned to just, or, you know, not ordain people willy-nilly. He has to ask a very important question first. Do you have your parents' permission? This is very important. And Rathapala says, no, I just made this choice right now. Okay, go talk to your parents. It's very important you get their permission. So Rathapala goes back to his parents' home and has uh, a bit of a temper tantrum but a good, meaningful one that leads to salvation. But at first, it's kind of a temper tantrum because he goes up to his parents and he says, I want to be a monk. And they say, your beloved only child. That seems like a bad idea. We wouldn't want to let you go. We wouldn't want to lose you. Even if you were to die, you, we, we, it would be involuntary on our part. We would not want to lose you. So to lose you before your death and you become a monk, that's, that's just way too much for us. He uh, does the very rational thing and says, fine, if you won't let me, I might as well lie right here and die. And he just props himself down on the floor, the bare floor of the house, and waits. Now, this might sound really melodramatic. The thing is, though, this actually happens quite a bit when only children want to be monks or nuns. You know, they have a hard time convincing their parents. I imagine that as my parents' only son, if I wanted to be a monk, they might have some issues. In fact, in my early 20s when I was considering it, they definitely did. So I can, I can understand where Ratapala was coming from. Like, here's my choice, I want it, please let me. But then I probably wouldn't have just laid on the floor and waited for death. Um, I'm not that melodramatic, but like almost. Uh, it actually reminds me of, of one of the monks in, in our temple. He's actually uh, not here today, uh, Punyaratana. He, uh, 
when he was a child, he was the only child in his, in his family. He wanted to be a monk. And I think he threatened his mother to run away if she didn't let him. So even though it sounds melodramatic, it is a thing that happens. So with, with the case of Ratapala, he, he was on the floor waiting and his parents come up to him one, two, three times. You know, re reconsider. You're our only son. Please, you know, stay with us. And you got money. You got wives. I mean, you can you can do other things and gain merit and still live this sensual life as a, as an aristocrat. He he doesn't say anything. Then they do something that is actually pretty smart. They go to his friends. You got to talk to him. He's just lying prone in our living room. You need to go talk to him. And, you know, we usually listen to our friends when they, when they tell us stuff, you know, it's that whole thing. Like, if your friend says to jump off a bridge, will you? And, I mean, you might, especially if there's a rope or a parachute. People do that for fun. It makes no sense to me. Uh, but, you, you know, you sometimes listen to your friends. So his, his friends show up and the same thing. Like, hey, you're, you're their only child. You've got all this stuff. I mean, maybe you want to hold on to it. Your wives might be really bummed out if you take off. Like, why don't you stay and just live this life? And he says, no. No way. Monk life for me. And they go back to his parents and, uh, and they say, yeah, we think he means it. I think he's going to die. And so in the commentaries, they say that he stayed on the floor for, I think, about seven days or so. And so by the time they finally relented and said, fine, fine, you can be a monk so long as you come and visit us. He got up very weakly because he's starving and thirsty and so he, he took a while, but he got up and he was very happy and he went to the Buddha, became a monk. Uh, with this, you know, proviso that he'd go and visit his parents when he, when he could. The commentaries say that that's not quite what happened. The commentaries say that he went off, was a monk, and went off into the forest to meditate and become an arahant and it took about 12 years. So the, the sutta itself doesn't really say that 12-year period, but... There's a sense that some time has passed because after he becomes an arahant, he's become a, a fully enlightened being. He goes to the, to the Buddha and, and says that he would like to go visit his parents and go take his alms at, at the palace that he grew up at. And so he, uh, he goes on his, on his journey. He, at this point, he's living somewhere else. And so it takes a few days for him to travel down and take his alms and meditate in the forest and eventually he gets to his, his hometown. And the commentaries say 12 years because by the time he gets there, not a lot of people are, can really recognize him. And so he, he takes his, his alms bowl and he's approaching the palace and his father can see a monk coming in the distance. He's actually kind of sitting outside while an attendant is, is fixing his, his hair for him. And he sees this monk coming along and he says, these monks, they stole my son. Unacceptable. So he sends some servants to go shoo away this monk, get rid of him. And so they kind of accost him, push him away. And he, he, he's like, man, I can't even get some food in my own house. This is ridiculous. But he, he goes around the palace and he sees a servant who's about to get rid of this old porridge from, from earlier in the day. And she's about to toss it out. And he comes up and he says, uh, you know, miss, if, if you're going to get rid of that porridge, uh, could you please give it to me? And he, I'll take that as my alms. And so he, he presents his bowl to her and she, she offers up the porridge to him. But as she's offering the porridge, she looks at his hands, she looks at his feet, she looks at his face, and she realizes that this is the young man that she used to serve many years ago. And she says, oh my goodness, I have to tell your mother. And so he goes off and starts eating his porridge behind a shack, 
no one's paying attention to him over there. But she runs off up to the palace, talks to his mother and says, you won't believe it, your son is here. And she then runs up to her husband and says, your son is here. And then the father goes, okay, now I got to track down this monk I didn't realize. And he walks back to the shack where there's this monk just eating porridge. He realizes it's his son and he, he, he sits before him and, and says, please, please take, take this food and, and eat it in your home. Come into the palace. And at this point, this monk, Ratapala, is, is almost done with the porridge. And he says, well, I'm, this is actually my meal for the day. So uh, I'm, I'm done now. I'm going to go into the forest and meditate. And his father says, okay, well, please come back tomorrow then and, and, and take your meal. And Ratapala says, okay, that's, that's fine. I'll come back tomorrow, Dad. You know? and, uh, and so Ratapala goes off. And at this, at this point, I think he's, he's, he's chosen a, a king's garden to meditate in because it's nice and there's trees there. So he goes there. His father goes back to the palace and starts scheming because he really doesn't like that his son is a monk. He decides, you know what, I'm going to do a few things to remind him how good life can be. So he decides to get a bunch of gold and hide it under a mat in the room where he's going to be serving his, his son. And he talks to his son's former wives and says, okay, you're going to need to be here for this too. So the next day comes and Ratapala comes with his alms bowl and he, he sits down and his father uncovers the gold and says, huh, look, your inheritance. It's your paternal wealth, your maternal wealth, your ancestral wealth, all right here. This is yours. Think of what good you can do with it. Think of all the things you can accomplish with it. Think of all this money. And Rathapala, an arahant, enlightened being, says, you might as well throw all of that money in the river for all it's good for. It's nothing to me. All right? And then he says, well, what about your wives? And he brings out this guy's wives. And I don't know how many wives he had, but wives. So, you know, more than one. And they come in and... They're, they're trying to touch his feet and hold on to him. Please, please come back to us. You're off in the woods with the nymphs, but how, could they be better than us, you know? And he's like, what are you talking about? Nymphs have nothing to do with it. Please, sisters, don't, don't do this. And they're like, oh, sister? And they all faint because they're, they can't believe that their former husband is so chaste now that he would call them sister. And, and so his father, Ratapala's father, looks at him and realizes this is a, a losing battle. And so at that point, he, uh, he, he feeds Ratapala with his own hands. He, he, he fills his bowl. And Ratapala has his meal. And then uh, he, he departs. Before he departs, he, he has this, this poem that he recites, a song that he spontaneously sings about, you know, the, the deer having just missed the trap. And he's like, bye. <laughs> and it's, it sounds pretty terse. But, you know, for someone who has dedicated their lives to, to renunciation, to have that thrust upon you, thrust upon you, you have to make it very clear that, no, I don't belong here anymore. And so he, he leaves his, his, his father's palace. Uh, his father is now chastened, realizing, no, no, this is, this is my son's path. I can't interfere anymore. And, and they say their goodbyes. So Ratapala goes to the, the king's forest of that particular kingdom and goes and sits under a tree. And then now this is where it gets to the Sutta study part. But I felt like the story was so good, I, I had to tell you that first before we get to what might potentially, for some of you, be the boring part. So the, the king of, the, of, the, of this kingdom, I can't remember his name right now, but he uh, was, was 
planning on visiting his gardens that day. And so he sends one of his attendants to go out and prepare the gardens for him. You know, rake the leaves, get stuff ready, you know. Doesn't want to step on any of those pokey things that fall from trees. I understand. Some of those things will go right through your shoe. It's no joke. So I understand why he wanted the path cleared before he went into his garden. The attendant sees Atapala meditating there. And he says, oh, I have to let the king know that this is happening so he, he can be aware that there's a monk in the garden. Not in any bad way, just so that the king is aware. Like, well, if you're going to be in your garden, someone's there already. And he goes to the king, and the king says, all right, forget about being entertained in the garden today. I'm going to go speak to the monk. And this king, because Ratapala used to be a, an aristocrat, he knows Ratapala. He, he's aware of him and his wealth and, and, and his standing in society. And so he's curious. I have to talk to this monk. And so the king walks up to Ratapala, and he says, you know, Ratapala, I'm very, very confused. You know, you're, you're a monk, but generally, people who become monks, who shave their, their head and put on the saffron robe, have suffered, the, you know, these four losses. You know, they've, they've suffered the, the loss of their youth, or the loss of, of their health, or the loss of their wealth, or the loss of, of loved ones. And you haven't seemed to have lost any of those things. You're still, you're still young, you still have black hair, you, you have your health, or you have no stomach problems or anything, and you came from a family with so much money and so much prestige, and you, know, you have all these friends and family in the world, and you know, why would you become a, a monk? What could you possibly get out of it? And then this is where Ratapala gives uh, four summaries of the Dhamma. And so this part I'll read, because I, I didn't memorize this part, it, you'll see why. So, Ratapala says this, Great King, there are four summaries of the Dhamma that have been taught by the Blessed One, who knows and sees, the Arahant, the perfectly enlightened one. Knowing and seeing and hearing them, I went forth from the household life into homelessness. What are the four? Life in any world is unstable. It is swept away. This is the first summary. Life in any world has no shelter, and no protector. This is the second summary. Life in any world has nothing of its own. One has to leave all and pass on. Life in any world is incomplete, insatiate, the slave of craving. So those are the third and fourth. So the king looks at Ratapala and says, okay, uh, maybe, but but what, what do these things mean? You know, well, let's let's look at the first one. What does it mean that Life in any world is unstable, it is swept away. And Ratapala says, well, king, when, when you were a young man in, in your 20s, you know, were, were you weak in arm, in leg? You know, were, were you a weak warrior? And, and the king says, well, well, no, in my 20s, I had so much strength in my arms and legs, I, I thought I had superpowers. And Ratapala says, okay, well, uh, you know, how about now? And the king says, well, I'm, now I'm in my 80s, and I feel very weak in my arms and my legs, and I want my foot to go one way, and it goes another. And so, you know, he, he sees, okay, maybe there's, there's something to that. But what, what about the second one? Life in any world has no shelter and no protector. And then Ratapala says again, well, king, your health at, at, at the age of 80, you know, what is it like? Do you have any ailments? And so the king says, well, yes, I have a, like a, a wind ailment. And so at this point, he must have had trouble breathing. 
And, uh, and he says, yes, you know, when, when, when I'm afflicted with this, my friends and family and my attendants around me all think, oh no, he's going to die. And it, it, becomes, it comes on very suddenly. And Rathapala says, well, are you able to share that pain with anyone? Can you share it with friends and family and attendants so that it affects you less? And he says, no, what, whatever I suffer, I suffer alone. My afflictions are my own. When I have these feelings, it's mine. And no one can, can take it from me. And he says, oh, no protector then. And then he, he, we get to the third. Life in any world has nothing of its own. One has to leave all and pass on. And the king says, well, again, well, what would the meaning of this be? And Rathapala says, well, king, you must have uh, a lot of wealth, a lot of chariots, a lot of gold, a lot of bullion, all these things. And the king says, yes. And Rathapala says, well, what, what happens when you die? Do you take any of it with you? And he says, no, I have to leave it all behind. Well, who does it go to? Well, I assume it goes to my descendants. It goes to, to people around me, friends and family that I might bequeath it to. That's, that's what happens. But you can't take any of it. No, it's temporary. I can't take it wherever it is I go after this life. Like, huh, interesting. Maybe Ratapala has a point. And then they get to the fourth one. Life in any world is incomplete, insatiate, the slave of craving. And the king, again, very confused. Well, what's the meaning of this one? And Ratapala says, well, king, you have this, this very large kingdom. You have so much land. You have so much wealth. You have so much that you've already accomplished and so much that you rule. But if a trusted advisor came up to you and said, you know, in the north and in the east and in the west, there are these other lands and they have more riches and they have more wealth and across the sea as well. Well, what would you do with that information? Well, I'd, I'd get my warriors together and we'd invade and we'd conquer and we'd take that wealth as our own. Like, huh, but you already have all of this. Oh, yeah, but you would conquer that land too. Yes, most definitely. Like, hmm, interesting. So whatever you have isn't enough. Like, huh. And so they, they have this discussion. And, and we see then that, that Rathapala has, has addressed all of the concerns that, that we have in life with our, our desires and our wants and our cravings and our views of life as being permanent. And so these four summaries manage to capture quite a bit. They manage to capture the essence of the Dhamma. They manage to capture the three marks of existence, of impermanence, unsatisfactory, and no self. They manage to capture a lot of the Four Noble Truths, I'd say the, at least the first three on the nature of suffering. And more importantly, the, the lesson that we get from Rathapala is that he didn't need to suffer in those ways himself to see that there is suffering in those things. Now, I relate to that to an extent. I didn't go off and, and, and you know, run off and become a, a monk, but I did kind of run off to the Dharma at a very young age. I ran off at around 12 or so when most people don't really think of suffering. I, I certainly wasn't thinking of suffering. I, I, I wish I had been as wise as, as Ratapala to see the, the immediacy of approaching the Dharma because at any moment, these things could happen. Life is very you know, indeterminate. We never know what's around the next corner. For me, I was just a kind of a bored, pudgy kid in the suburbs really interested in religion. But Rathapala could see already that as a young man with, with so much ahead of him that all of it was fleeting. Now, tying it to uh, the news that some of us woke up to this morning, I, I think it puts the lessons in, in stark relief because we really don't 
have anything that we can hold on to in this world. This is what the Buddha tells us, that, that everything just kind of, you know, just slides right through our fingers. It just comes just like sand. It's like trying to grasp sand. It just all falls right out. But we can, what we can grasp onto is the Dharma and the teachings there to become kinder, more loving, more accepting, more generous, uh, less prone to, to anger, less prone to aversion, and we can grow in, in wisdom. And Ratapala saw that as a young man with plenty of time to, to do something about it. Some of us have those opportunities and some of us don't, but it, the fact that we're here today to me is, is a sign that we have at least this opportunity right now to think about our lives and, and what matters most, to think about our lives and the kind of things that we want to accomplish. Do we want to accomplish the material goals of the world and get more money and status? Do we want more Instagram followers, more people following us on, on Twitter and all that? Do we want our, our name on a newspaper somewhere? Or do we want peace? And the funny thing about peace is that from the outside it looks kind of boring. I think that's why Ratapala's family had such an, an aversive reaction to him living the life of a renunciant. Because from the outside, to them, it was as if their son had died. He just went off into the forest to go meditate. And even today, a lot of people really don't understand the benefit of following the Eightfold Path, but even just in a general sense, meditating. It looks like a very strange action from the outside. It looks a lot like doing nothing. And uh, if you're doing it right, maybe it is. But the goal of meditation, the goal of, the, of all of the Eightfold Path is to grow in wisdom, to grow in love. We are literally nurturing and training our heart and our mind. One of the w ways of talking about meditation is, is citta bhavana. Bhavana being a word for cultivation. And the roots of that word have all of the connotations of kind of digging up the soil. You know, it's a real beautiful word, bhavana, cultivation. And chitta means not only the mind, but the heart. It means that whole system of thought and emotion. And it's something that we're, we're developing. It's something that we're cultivating. And we're pulling out all of those weeds, all of those weeds of, of greed, of hatred, of delusion. And Ratapala could see that. He could see that that's what he needed to do. He understood that he needed to go off. Now, for us, going off might be different. I think for the majority of us, we're not going to be putting on robes anytime soon. But we have a way to make our life more conducive to developing wisdom, to developing loving kindness, you know, to, to develop compassion and you know, loving friendliness and equanimity. We have choices to be made. Recently, I read an article where it was turning that FOMO thing on its head, you know, fear of missing out. A lot of people feel that today because there's so many things out there. So many shows to binge watch on Netflix. I'm still making my way through the Great British Bake Off. It's good, good TV. Uh, you know, a lot of movies out there. You know, uh, the new Avengers is coming out next weekend, I think. And there's so many things to experience. A lot of people are out in Coachella right now, which is probably why the, the driving is much, much less recently in L.A. All these experiences out there. And we have this fear of missing out that keeps us scrolling, that keeps us active, that keeps us out. We all got to find the, the new dive place before it gets trendy and everyone knows about it. All of these things going on. And this, this article that I had read, and I wish I remember the, the person who wrote it, but they, they changed it to the joy of missing out. 
And when you live a life that has any bit of renunciation in it, yeah, you got to find some enjoyment in that. Otherwise, you're not going to have that steam. You know, last month I talked about the importance of, of uh, determination or, or discipline, that we can't always wait around for motivation. But we also still need some motivation because that's, that's the fuel. So you have to find some joy in maybe renun you know, renouncing things a bit. Maybe spending less time online. Maybe not watching that movie. Maybe you spend a weekend in. Oof. That's a big one for a lot of people, especially in L.A. So many things to do with the, on the weekends, you know. Uh, I wouldn't know a lot about it. No one invites me to things. But they know now not to because I usually don't go. But I, I usually try to find time for stillness. Try to find time for introspection. Try to find time for meditation. And I also try to live my life in a way that I can actually cultivate the precepts, the five precepts, to avoid killing, which, you know, is fairly easy, but also to avoid stealing. And for me, that's pretty easy. But, you know, avoid sexual misconduct. That's not so easy for a lot of people. For me, probably a little easier. Uh, married life kind of does that for you. Um, and then fourth, you know, to, uh, to avoid lying. This one's tricky because sometimes it's so easy to lie. One of the biggest ones that people lie about all the time is, how you doing? Great. And that's the biggest one. We all do that. And that's still a lie, isn't it? You know, that's still going on. Like, oh, I'm great. Are you? You're, you look like you lost a little weight. Yeah, I was very sick, but how you doing? I'm great. Poking a little fun at Benita. Everyone's commenting on how much weight he's lost. Um, but we, we, we all have these little, little white lies, and we think they're harmless. Maybe not. Maybe, they, maybe we can live a life devoid of white lies. Ooh, that could be tricky. All right. Now, the fifth one that, that even I struggled with for a while, and I say even I because the fifth one it involves intoxicants. And the thing is, I never really liked alcohol anyway. I just drank because of like social pressure. You know, people go out for drinks, and they're like, you want to drink too, don't you? Yeah, what are you guys having? We're having whiskey. Oh, great. And then they pour the whiskey and I drink. I would take a sip and it, it, my body would react as if poison had just entered my mouth. My, my body would literally not let me swallow. It would just sit on my tongue. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, that's smooth. Yeah. And it's awful. But we all do it because I guess we think it's fun. I always liked the more fruity stuff anyway. Give me a good pina colada or a mojito and that's probably as adventurous as I get. All the other stuff out there I've, I've never really tried. But then that can be tough too. But we can live a life where we can make those things easier. One of the good things about being at a meditation center is that there aren't going to be a lot of chances for those things. We don't got a margarita machine in the back. I can promise you that. We got tea and you'll have some later probably. We got cookies almost every weekend. So there's probably some of that. And you're probably going to find people who are very honest about where they are on the path and what kind of accomplish accomplishments they've had. No one's making promises that they've become enlightened and they're levitating out back either, right? So if you go to a place like this, you're more likely to be able to avoid killing, avoid stealing, avoid, avoid sexual misconduct, avoid lying, and avoid intoxication. I think that's probably one of the reasons people like to come here on New Year's Eve, too, because that way you avoid all the parties. So that's, that's one way of doing that, one way of approaching uh, renunciation. Now, I'm a bit biased because uh, I'm, I'm a bit 
monk-like. You know, if just a, two or three choices in my life had gone differently, I'd probably be up here in a robe rather than jeans and a, a Dickies button-up, you know. But my life has gone a certain way. But I still have that inclination to, to, to renounce things and, and live a simpler kind of life. Now, you'll notice, I, I, I not all the way, because I still have a Netflix account and Amazon Prime, The Tick Season 2 just came out. So I, I know about things. I'm clearly a part of the world. But I also make room for the other stuff that, for me, is more important. The Eightfold Path of right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right li livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. So I would like to think that when I read about disciples of the Buddha like this, like Ratapala, I can at least take on some of those qualities and, and at least train up some of those qualities so that, like him, I can be a kinder, more loving person who understands what really matters, what is really meaningful to my life, and what's more likely to lead towards peace than not. So I will end uh, with a, a short poem that, that Rathapala recites at the end of the sutta. I don't have it in here because this is a really handy uh, anthology. Uh, my other books are currently in storage, and uh, the thought of trying to find which box the Majjhima Nikaya is in right now would be awful. So I found it online, like a good millennial. So the, the passage I'll read, I won't read the whole thing, it's, it's very long, but I, I will read uh, a small part of it that I, I find very meaningful. And I think, again, held up to what's happened in the news lately, it's, it's in stark relief. I think this really highlights what we all might be feeling and thinking. Uh, so uh, keep that in mind. Longevity is not acquired with wealth, nor can prosperity banish old age. Short is this life, as all the sages say. Eternity it knows not, only change. The rich and poor alike shall feel death's touch. The fool and the sage as well shall feel it too. But while the fool lies stricken by, its folly, by his folly, no sage will ever tremble at the touch. Better is wisdom here than any wealth, since by wisdom one gains the final goal. So, I think I will end with those wise words. Let's all think about it. Thank you.